You're listening to the Activity Strong Executive Edition series on the Bridge the Gap Network. The live webinar series aims to promote, engage, and empower wellness directors and senior living executives to continue the conversations surrounding health and wellness in aging adults. Powered by Linked Senior. Good afternoon. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. We're very excited with today's program. As Megan said, my name is Charles Vilmarin. I am the CEO and co-founder of Link Senior. Today we have a fantastic program. I'm really excited about the, uh, you know, the speaker, the topic, and and uh, and what we're going to be talking about together. So our webinar today, just as a quick note, is a Activity Strong Executive Edition. So with that, I want to thank everyone that serves under some kind of executive leadership an administrator, an executive director of a corporate position, and you actually, also you, Jill, for joining us today, because that really truly reflects your uh, not only interest, but respect and, and the fact that you value activity in life enrichment professionals. This webinar today is done in partnership with our fantastic media partner, Bridge the Gap, uh, represented here by Josh. So with that, Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, Charles, and it's good to be with you again for the executive series. Josh, I know that your organization recently uh, launched this uh, Bridge the Gap Ambassador. Do you want to give a quick word about it before we get started? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Super excited. Uh, This is our fourth season of Bridge the Gap podcast. It's grown and grown, and this year we launched an ambassador program And we have 15 ambassadors representing multiple states, multiple uh, communities, multiple different types of professions in senior care and housing, and excited that they're carrying the torch to inform, educate, and influence the senior housing industry. And so if anyone is interested in learning more about those individuals, they can find out about that at btgvoice.com and actually... I think it was just this week an episode dropped that it has all of the ambassadors on that episode, and so we'd love for you to connect with them. Thanks so much, Josh. And so to give a little bit of introduction, uh, as I mentioned, I am uh, the CEO and co-founder of Link Senior. Link Senior is the company behind these Activity Strong webinars. Um, you know, I like to introduce Link Senior by sharing some of the values, some of the things that we feel strongly about. So five years ago, we started this campaign called Old People Are Cool. Um, you know, obviously we we like to think that people that old people are cool. We believe that, and obviously we don't really like the notion the segregation based on age. So these are the primary reasons to start that conversation around this. And then last year, exactly, well, now a little bit more than 12 months ago, we launched this Activity Strong platform, very important platform to not only acknowledge the fantastic work of activities and life enrichment professionals, but also empower and educate these uh, fantastic professionals. So, um, you know, again, Link Senior, we do provide a resident engagement platform for senior living. We serve today, we're very honored to serve 46,000 lives in 43 states in Canada. And people often ask about Link Senior. So in a nutshell, we provide, again, engagement, but in the form of technology, 
education, such as these webinars today, and me as the founder, what I'm the most proud of is human touch. We believe that technology should augment and empower what we are trying to do in serving our elders. So on one hand, we have this, what we call 24-7 assistant that empowers any staff member, any team member. We have data in the form of a integration with EHR, such as Care, and we're also very proud of our customer success team. They've all worked in the industry for five years before joining Link Senior and help our client be successful. We, provide, we are a company that take data and outcomes very seriously, where our work was actually published in a peer-reviewed journal in 2019. And we started these webinars three years ago. Uh, very lucky to have wonderful speakers um, come and come again to these uh, educational sessions that we're now delivering twice a month. And a lot of them actually come from suggestions from you, the audience. So here's my invitation to actually influence the future of Activity Strong. Please let us know if, we're, uh, if there's a speaker or a topic that you would like us to involve. Uh, we love doing that, and we will uh, definitely take that into account. So let me introduce briefly uh, our speaker today. And I, um, um, I, I thought a lot about how I would introduce you, Dale. But I think that in the end, simplicity really is the best. And I think that for me, reminding ourselves, you know, keeping, um, staying true to something that we've been promoting with Activity is Strong is the fact that every human being on planet Earth has the opportunity and actually the basic human right of finding purpose every day. And as I read your book, Joe, I was reminded often of how, uh, who a true advocate you are for this basic human right for our elders, how much you and your organizations have been great at partnering with the elders, and how much you've championed actually uh, the work in senior living. So you, the audience, it's a great pleasure to introduce you to Jill Vitar-Orsom, who's the president and CEO of Christian Living Communities. You know, very quickly, uh, Jill started in this industry working in uh, the dining services area and then grew within her organization. And um, she then became the president and CEO of a fantastic organization called the Eden Alternative, uh, before being called back at uh, Christian Living Communities to serve as the current president and CEO. And the last thing I'll say about this book is that I highly recommend Jill's book. It is available on Amazon, and it's just a fantastic book, um, whether you are in the industry or not. But if you, are, if you are in the industry, I would actually say that you have to read this uh, quickly. It's fantastic. So Jill, uh, thank you so much for being with us, and I'll let you uh, take it from here. All right. Thank you so much. I, I'm, I'm so happy to be here with all of you and seeing all of the everybody joining from all over the country. This is really, really exciting. I'm really passionate about this topic. So why don't I'll tell you a little bit about the organization, just so you kind of know um, where I'm coming from. And if we want to go to the next slide there. Um, and so so Christian Living Communities um, and Capella Living Solutions. So we are uh, next year will be 50 years old, um, based in the Denver area, and we are a not-for-profit organization with a very strong focus on our mission, which you can see here on the screen. And I'm also really excited about our vision. And, you know, there, I, I think there sometimes companies will put up a vision statement and a mission statement, and eh, it's just something you hang on the wall. 
we focus on it, right? And it, it guides us in everything that we do, every decision that we make. And our vision is creating communities where aging is honored and celebrated. And a vision statement doesn't mean you're there yet, right? It's, it's, it's your goal for the future. And, and really what we're going to be talking about today, um, it's a never-ending journey, right? You make progress and then you realize you have further to go. And that's one of the really exciting things about this work. Um, but our organization, we have um, life plan uh, communities or CCRC communities, assisted living, memory support, independent living, um, home care services, adult day services. Uh, we also do a lot of consulting work and we are part owners with a couple of other senior living organizations of a Medicare Advantage plan called Perennial Advan Advantage, which is an also re really exciting thing that we are working on. So if we want to go to the next slide, just to give you a really quick um, overview, we, are, uh, we have 22 owned and managed communities, and we are in six different states right now and also doing consulting in some other states as well. So that's who, that's who we are. And um, as Charles said, I, I worked for the organization um, for almost nine years as an executive director, went to the Eden Alternative and have just returned in this role and couldn't be happier about being back. Great. Well, thanks so much, Jill. So as we were preparing for today's conversation, obviously one of the, you know, and, and obviously I'll refer back to your book several times just because, well, one, I thought it was awesome, but two, it was it was a great way to uh, to prepare for today's discussion with you. You know, one of the key topics in in uh, in our in our work in all of our work, right? What is the most common denominator to all of us, right? Jill, you know, you, Megan, you, Josh, and everyone in the audience is this um, is is this kind of rampant segregation in our in our society. And believe it or not, Joe, Josh and I were on a panel, I, on a discussion, I think a month ago or so, with James Lee, and we talked about this concept of forced retirement, right? Um, and in your book, you take this approach of saying that well, as we do this, right, and as, as communities are built uh, the old way, we kind of remove agency and the ability for people to really value the old age. Um, what are your quick thoughts on that, and what are yeah, what are you looking at and improving on that on that topic? Well, I, I think um, one of the disturbing things, but really eye-opening things for me to realize when I really started um, studying ageism and age-related ableism, which is prejudice, and in our it's prejudice against people living with different abilities, and a lot of times that happens um, with people living with dementia or living with frailty. And one of the things that I realized is our, really, our communities are really rooted in ageism, in ageist beliefs. Um, and it, that's not because we're bad people. It's because we've spent all these years soaking in all these negative messages about what it means to grow older, right? We don't hear old people are cool anywhere else. Um, and so we've created these communities that are very focused on um, older people not having anything to give back, right? So come here and we'll do everything for you. And that is especially prevalent when people are living with any kind of um, different challenges, right? Dementia, um, frailty, we assume people can no longer do anything. Um, we also focus a lot, and, and I realized this in my own practice as an, as an executive director, um, is that I would always be um, really focused on who somebody was in the past, 
oh, well, Charles used to be the CEO of a company. And, and never really focusing on with residents on what are, what's next, right? We don't stop growing and learning just because we reach a certain age. And so I really started looking at and seeing all those things in what I was doing that was rooted in ageism and perpetuating ageism. And the other really concerning thing that I think we have a lot of work to do on is you talk about older people being segregated in society, right? If you're older, you come live in this place. But even within our communities, a lot of times um, we're making some progress, but we segregate people. If you have a, a campus with multiple levels of living, oh, that's the nursing home. Oh, those people are living with dementia. They shouldn't be with other people. And it's damaging to us all. And it's really, again, um, it, it really represents what we what we have in our heads about what it means to be older. So there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm really excited about what we can accomplish. Right. And just as a, uh, I mean, you've been in this industry, you have significant experience. I'm just curious from your vantage point, have you seen things improve in say the last five, 10 years? Yeah. I have. I think, um, I, I think there's a lot of work that's been done and there's a lot left to be done. Um, it's really hard to undo all the institutional frameworks that we have in our heads. And it's also yeah. really hard for residents too, right? It, they've been taught all these things all their lives. So when you say, hey, what do you want to, what, what do you want your purpose to be? What do you want to give back to this community? At first, when I started, you know, we started having those conversations at, at my community, people were like, are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> it, it, because it takes time to make this happen. So I do see progress happening, um, but there's a lot more to go. Yeah. And obviously one of the drivers for this um, movement, right, or this change is actually the fact that, you know, there's a lot of benefits from respecting, I mean, seeing the value there, right? And, um, you know, I, I think for me that the fact that that a lot of people beyond our industry don't see that is they don't really know what aging is about, right? right. And actually aging, there's a lot of really, really cool thing. And um, I know you're familiar with this U-curve. I'd love you to uh, just take a minute, if you don't mind, to uh, describe it, yeah. Yeah, I, I love this because this is, this is basically um, a graph of a study that was done that measured people's satisfaction with life and well-being throughout a lifespan. Um, and it's self-reported well-being. And so, you know, we hear all the time in the news. And I mean, even from when we're little kids, we watch movies and cartoons that old people are grumpy or they're evil, right? There, there's all kinds of studies that show that from when we're children, we get these ageist messages. But what the reality is, what research shows is this curve. And it's sometimes called the happiness curve, where when you're younger, you know, in your teens, you're pretty happy. And then... The, your, the well-being starts to drop. There's a pit right around 50, which is right where I am. And then gradually over time, your life satisfaction, satisfaction improves and improves and improves to the point where people who are in their 90s um, self-report higher life satisfaction than people who are younger. We don't hear these messages that often. Um, and it really can start to push back against that dread of growing older that we all have. So it's a really important thing. Um, I, I'm glad you put this slide in there. 
Yeah, somebody in the chat, Deborah Christian, reminds us that it looks like a smile, which is which is cool. Yes, uh, it is. Yeah. Josh, any thoughts you have on this old people are cool? I know that we've partnered on that as well. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, my first thought, as I'm looking at this age and life satisfaction curve, is I've almost hit rock bottom. So the good news is it's all up here, all uphill from here, and my age and life satisfaction only going to get better. So I've actually been encouraged already by this presentation. Um, but, you know, I, I love this topic. And by the way, if we didn't, we need to drop your book uh, title in the chat again, because I've seen a couple of people asking for the name of that again, and the chat's moving so fast. I know people want to get their hands on that. But, uh, and, and Jill, forgive me, you'll probably get into this or maybe you touch on this at some point, but what you mentioned about where we are, we've made some improvements and we got so much further to go to kind of stop this ageism and, and a lot of the things that we don't even have intentions of doing. They're just kind of in, inbred in us because they're so institutionalized and it's what we grow up seeing and knowing. Mm -hmm. I, I've, uh, so my thoughts are like how for the people that are on here, which represent, you know, gosh, tons of life engagement, enrichment professionals and executives in the communities and they're the spark that is change uh, for for their community and for their organization what are some small tools that we could talk about them to start start steps of culture change to kind of change this narrative a little bit. Could you give us some of that throughout this yeah. presentation? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And and that was one of the things we were going to talk about a little bit later. But, you know, so there's a saying um, that all change is linguistic, meaning that all change starts with conversation. And one of the, the, the most important things, um, the most powerful things that we can do as leaders, and by the way, if you're on here and you're saying, I'm not a leader, you are a leader. You don't have to have manager or supervisor in your title. Everybody has the opportunity to, to drive positive change. But one of the most important things we can do as, as leaders is to not always focus on having the right answers, but to focus on asking the right questions. So I'll give you a little example. And, and there's something called a learning circle. That's a really powerful way to get people, you get people together in a circle, you ask a question and everybody gets a chance to talk. If you're interested in that Pioneer Network, go to their website, Eden Alternative. You can find some instructions on how to do that. But at Claremont Park, um, for example, where I was the executive director with Christian Living Communities before, we started driving this cultural change. We would get, I would sit down with group residents in a circle. And I, we, I, I remember talking about, um, we were really focused on, the segregation that was happening in our community. Um, and we were trying to move to a more inclusive environment. And so asking questions um, of the residents, um, have you ever had a time in your life when you felt excluded from something? And how did that make you feel? And you get people talking and you get people making those connections with what might be happening with a neighbor who's living with dementia or someone who's living with frailty. And you get those conversations going and, and that's how you start to drive change is by, by what, figuring out what, what's the right question here to um, get people moving. And I, I hate plugging my book. So this isn't a book plug, but at, 
after at, at the end of each of the chapters, there are learning circle questions. So when you read a chapter on ageism, it's like, oh, here's the questions that I can sit down um, and talk to people about. So gathering people together, talking, asking questions is the, the very first thing. Oh, so I love that. So let me ask you, the learning circle sounds pretty awesome, sounds pretty simple. Do you have rules for your learning circle? Do you have to like lay some ground rules for that? Uh-huh. You absolutely do. And, you know, it, it's, it's starting out with um, that when one person's talking, whoever's talking, no one else talks. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the major thing. And sometimes in the beginning of a learning circle, you'll say, hey, do we want this to be confidential? What we say here doesn't leave here. Um, depending on the topic, that might be the situation. Um, but it's really, it's setting up those norms for the discussion um, and that it usually works pretty well. Love that. Love pretty that. Pretty powerful. Yeah. You know, Joe, your comment about everyone being a leader, you know, there's this thing that we say is that um, every activity director is actually a CEO, right? Is a is, is truly the, the chief engagement officer. Because when you think about an organization, there are the CEOs. And I think that even that, you know, empowers that individual. But beyond that, you know, I, I think um, I, I love the framing of the fact that everyone has agency, anyone can bring change, it starts with this conversation. You know, I think that this discussion about ageism in our society, um, we also need to understand how much um, we sometimes don't get the opportunity to use, to choose how we're portrayed. Yeah. Right? And Joe, I mean, I think we all know how the media has been on one hand, kind of okay, but in many, many instances, not fair at all to our industry. So I just want to share here to everyone uh, on my screen right now, I'm showing a McKnight article that was published um, actually four, four days ago by somebody fantastic by the name of Stephen Littlehill who takes scribe over a New York Times article. So, you know, just as an FYI, please everyone consider reading this article. It's four minute read, five minutes top. It's just a, a great article in it by itself. But Jill, I'd love you to, you know, share with us what's your view um, about these type of articles when they come out. Yeah. And yeah, good. I'm sure you have a lot to say. Well, it's, it's, it, it's so disconcerting to see articles that, um, really bash our field and the work that we're doing. And, you know, there are always some, some bad apples, but for the, for the most part, the vast majority of our communities are doing the best we can. We're doing a great job. And, you know, I think that the conversation that I had that really made me think about this, I saw Ashton Applewhite was one of your guests. Um, Ashton Applewhite, uh, who wrote uh, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. Yeah. If you haven't read that book, that's a great one, audience out there. It is fantastic. Um, but he talks about um, really, we are a society that does not value older people, right? There are pockets yeah. where right here in this group we do, but our society in general doesn't. And what you see when a society doesn't honor older people is they also don't honor those that support them, which is our field, which is our, our the care partners that, that are out there. Um, and we saw this this has really been highlighted throughout the pandemic with, yep. with, um, you know, hospital workers are heroes, which, which they are, but anytime there was a, a discussion about nursing homes, it was usually very negative. So 
it really comes down to, I believe, that ageist view that, that we have in this society. And if you start to pay attention just in the regular media, you start to see um, all the bad things about older people. You know, a, lot of, a, a while ago it was, if older people would just move out of their homes, then younger people could afford to get a house. There's a lot of us and them, and, and it's just a very common uh, narrative. And what I would say to everybody out there is it's hard to change the world. It's hard to change our whole country. We can start making changes in our own communities. There is plenty of work to be done right here in our own heads and in our own communities. And then also, I mean, there are opportunities to do letters to the editor, to correct people when they are saying things like that. And hey, I can't think of anybody who'd be better than that than, than residents that live in communities. Is Let's get some campaigns going to start to shift perspectives. But it really starts with us first. Yeah. 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 And on that note, you know, um, this I think is a great segue to the second piece of our conversation today, which is us building, improving our communities and the future of our of our industry, right? And actually, the future of the experience of our elders. So, with that, I, I'd love if you don't mind, Joe, to just walk us through your framework. I thought it's so, um, in a good way, right? Completely disruptive, and kind of not necessarily against what we do, but a lot of the shortcuts that we do take as professionals today in our industry come from the old paradigm. So, walk us through your thinking. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Um, so I should start this out by saying so that people don't get mad at me is I, um, my, I, I got my master's degree in, in hospitality, right? And I thought hospitality was the answer for everything. And that's how I ran my communities is customer service and creating experiences for people. And I realized over time that that's not the answer. And, and I think it's becoming, I hear more and more people talking about this. Um, at first, there were people that would really uh, push people's buttons because they were like, we just spent thousands of dollars on Disney training. What are you talking about? But here, here's what, what I learned is when you really study what we need to live a long and healthy life, it's not a life of leisure. It, it absolutely isn't. It's actually the opposite, right? We need, we need to have meaningful purpose in our lives we need to belong. We need to stay engaged with some of the activities of daily life that keep our bodies strong. Um, and so I started looking at, okay, so if, if running a senior living community like a hotel isn't the answer, then what is? And I realized that really the answer has been in front of us all, all the time. And that is we should be communities. But communities don't just exist because the sign in front of your building says, this is a community. There, there's actually a lot of um, study and work that's been done around this by community psychologists. And these four components that are on the screen here are, are, can come about from, from researchers um, really looking at what does it take to create a sense of community? And you can see there, there's four different things. Um, uh, I see Amy says, I've been pushing back on hospitality focus for the same reason. All right, Amy, we'll get there eventually. Hospitality can play a role. So there's the first area on here is fulfillment of needs. And that it might be hospitality, it might be customer service, housekeeping, excellent dining services, all those things. But that's usually where we stop. 
That's where I used to stop. I'm doing my job if I'm doing that right. But there are three other things that we need in order to feel like we have a sense of community. So the second one is membership and belonging. So is this a place where I really feel well-known? Is this a place I really feel accepted? And just living amongst a bunch of other people doesn't mean that you feel welcomed and accepted. In fact, you can be even more lonely when you're around a lot of other people, but you don't feel people care about you. Um, There's influence. And this is where that purpose comes into play. So what um, a sense of community requires that if I'm part of a community, I have an influence on the future of that community, um, that I matter, that what comes in the future, I played a role perhaps in creating. It also means that the community that you're in influences you. And I'll give you a great example. Is my, my parents live in one of our communities, uh, Christian Living Communities campuses, and they've had a big focus on, um, on fighting back, uh, pushing back against ageism and ableism. And my dad said, um, I'm a better person for living in this community. I have become a better person for living in this community. And assumptions I used to make maybe about people who were much older than me or people who are living with frailty, this has caused me to think differently and, and, and about my own aging process. That is huge, right? That, that people become better people from living in one of our communities. That's, that's amazing. Um, so influence, I need, and it's not the same as I'm going to get new furniture and do a survey and see if people want gray chairs or brown chairs. That's input. That's the whole different thing than influence, where people are actively engaged in coming up with solutions and being part of part of uh, decisions. Um, and then the last is shared emotional connection, which is really people um, that live and work in the community working through the hard things together, figuring things out. Um, I tell the story in my book about um, how residents always used to come to me to fix everything. And when I finally realized, oh my gosh, I'm totally, I'm totally creating a situation where people who are very competent in dealing with things with their neighbors no longer do that. Um, but when people work through problems together or go through hard times together, um, that's where you get that shared emotional connection. And I talk in my book a little bit about the way we handle death is a big part of that. Um, everything isn't perfect in a community and we have to go through the hard times and acknowledge that as well as the good times together. So that's, that's my vision for a a new future is real communities where we have all of these different things, not just a place where you come and you put your feet up and people take care of you for the rest of your life. So Jill, I have, I have a couple of questions because this is, um, when I'm looking at this sense of community slide, the circle um, here, you know, I'm, I'm thinking this is this is really involves like everyone. This isn't just for life engagement. Yes. Oh, yeah. People, and this is not executives, but you know, uh, let's assume maybe there's some activity professionals or executives that are on the line, and they're like, "Gosh, you know, I'm." I'm going to start a listening circle. You know, that's something I can tangibly do. But what are some maybe other recommendations to start to bake this into the culture of programming, for lack of a better term, into their communities that they could start 
like, for example, you mentioned that you're being very transparent that you had kind of fostered this culture of fixing everything for everybody. And it's okay to create an environment where people can kind of work things out together. What would be some system that that you've implemented or your communities have implemented to kind of foster that kind of culture? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I want to one of the things that you, that you said in the very beginning, I think is really important is this isn't something that is delegated to a department, right? This is a shift in, in, in everything that we do. And, uh, you know, the person that I worked most closely with driving this kind of change in my community was the director of community life. And by the way, I think activities needs a rebranding because what you all do what you all do is life. You support life. You support well-being. Um, and I think that old school way of looking at activities and, and all, all you do is set up bingo and have entertainers come in. That's the past. And what you do is so much more than that and so much more impactful on people's well-being and health. Um, so I think, hey, you all came up with the old people are cool. What's the new motto for, for activities? I know you'll come up with something. Um, so yeah, so some of the things that you can start to do when you look at this doesn't just belong to one department. So some of the things that we started to do were, um, even with marketing. So you have a tour come to your community and instead of just asking, tell me about your past, tell me about your history. Um, it, th they started talking more about what do you want to do next? What do, what do I want to do next? What are you talking about? Nobody ever asked me that. I'm 90. Um, and you start to shift those things. And instead of just talking about here are all the things we'll do for you if you move in here, what passions, what gifts do you have that you want to bring to this community? And again, it sets people back, but then it really sets a new expectation and it makes people start thinking. I always say if someone comes to our community for a tour, they should leave having changed the way they view aging, right? Because we're talking about things in a different way. So, so those things are really important. Um, I think the whatever the new name is for activities, um, it's really um, working with residents as much, and I know this is happening at a lot of places, but that we're there to support and what are the gifts and passions of the people that live in your community? What do they want to give back so that it's not, we're doing everything. Um, you know, at my community, I remember when I started, we had a newsletter that that we we put together every month and the resident part of it was folding it. And over time, it's now a completely resident-run um, uh, newsletter, and they were like, hey, we need to have a, um, a software so we can do the publishing, and we're like, cool, and they learned, and they did it, and figured it all out. But we do a lot of things that I don't think we need to do. Um, and then the other really important thing is back to those talk, asking those questions, is asking those questions that will help residents create new norms. Because that's really where community culture comes from, is all of us, there are norms. We know how we have to behave in order to be accepted. And we don't very often focus on what do norms look like in a community. So 
A follow-up question to residents in a learning circle or team members might be, um, how do we want a new resident to feel when they move in here? How do we want someone to, who's got a dementia diagnosis to feel? And what behaviors are we going to do to support that? And it starts to take the ownership of everything off of paid leaders and, and really puts the, the responsibility and um, accountability with, with resident citizens. Jill, I thought it was um, uh, really interesting. And if you don't mind unpacking for me a little bit, because I think there's something there to understand a little bit more. I think you said it was your dad and he made the comment that he was a better person for being in the community. What what do you think was kind of the driving force that brought him to that moment? Like, what was he seeing? What was he experiencing that brought him to that conclusion? I think what he would say um, is, so my dad, he and my mom moved to the community because my mom, my mom is blind now. And so, and so my dad was like, well, we're going for your mother. Right. And my dad, he goes out, like he goes for 80 mile bike rides. He's, I think when he came in, he was like, yeah, he's something. Um, I, and my mom's really healthy too. But I think when they came in, they were like, well, we're going to live here with all these older people. Um, and oh, there's people who are hundred years old here and oh my gosh. And it was my dad getting, and my mom, and this just happens to us as people is when we get to know people as human beings, rather than looking at someone and making assumptions about someone, um, based on they have a walker or they're, you know, somebody who's living with dementia, you really, you just learn and grow. And my dad said, I, I have just had my life enriched by knowing these amazing people um, and getting to know others as human beings. I think that's what he would say. That's super cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat, right? That's what we all should strive for is a place that challenges us and makes us better. Yeah. You know, Josh, what I find amazing with this paradigm shifting, this um, changing things really is, uh, you remember last month, you know, I was sharing with you the fact that I saw Lynn Katzman, you know, of Juniper Communities asking the audience at a conference, why is it that we get all excited when we move to a university, a college, but why don't we get the same thing when we move to a community? And what I find amazing with this kind of change is that we are re-enabling that, right? Wouldn't we be excited to move into a community where we ask not, you know, what did you do 20 years ago, but actually, what do you want to continue? What do you want to contribute to that? Yeah. And I think that's just an amazing framework. Yeah. Well, and you know, uh, the research shows, so that people fear losing their independence more than they fear dying as we get older. And I should say people, I we, we fear losing our independence yeah. more than dying. Yet what we sell and a lot of times with our marketing is come here and come here and depend on other people to have all your needs met. And I have to wonder if we're not playing into those fears and really um, just just creating more problems. And it, just because of the way we're putting ourselves out there is the vast majority of yeah. people don't want to move into communities. And a lot of it yeah. is they don't want to lose their independence and their, their, their autonomy and having their own life. Yeah, yeah. 
when you think about building these communities, like we keep on talking about the differences between, you know, consumer, customer, and citizens. And um, I'd love, you know, Joe, if you don't mind kind of walking us through the, this, really the framework, because I think that for the audience, it'd be amazing to see the difference and what, what they actually actually can do. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to. And um, if any of you out there love to read or dig into things, Peter Block is an author and a speaker that focuses on community building. And um, he's got some TED Talks out there. If you go to his website, you can read different blogs or you can read his books. Um, but when I was reading and studying his work, um, it really hit me um, that when it, a lot of the things that he talked about, when we frame people as customers or consumers, which is what we do in our field, we um, set people up for helplessness, right? It's uh, depending on others to have our needs met. And he's not talking about senior living. He's talking about this framework in general society. A citizen, on the other hand, plays an active, active role in meeting the needs of, of myself and the people around me. Um, the other thing he talks about is there becomes this love of leadership. And I, I recognized this when I read this, that when you frame people as customers or consumers, when anything goes wrong, Charles, if you're the leader, Charles, I'm coming in your office and you better fix this. Um, versus, hey, I can work with my neighbors and figure things out and we can be part of the solution together. Or maybe Charles and I need to sit down and brainstorm some things on how we could address this. Um, there's a there's a study um, that looked at how people respond to statements that either frame them as consumers or as citizens, and it had the study had to do some something with water quality, but when they framed people as customers, they only thought about themselves. I don't care about anybody else. But when they framed the question as a citizen, what do you think about this? People were very focused on the whole and other people, which is one of the things we need to have more of in communities. You know, you see a lot of times um, there can be bullying and clicks and things like that. Um, I think a lot of that comes from that place of, you know, just worry about yourself. Don't look out for other people. Um, and we don't expect anything of customers. You pay your money. You don't expect anything from me. But as a citizen, do you have expectations on you? Well, how are you going to be part of this community? How are you going to make this community stronger and better? What are the norms for living in this community? And, it, you know, in the community where we, the residents were working on norms, it wasn't okay to be rude to somebody anymore or to say something about somebody who's living with dementia. And people corrected each other. It stopped being about Jill has to police everything, which doesn't work anyway. Um, and then the other thing is really people end up being entitled. Um, and I pay money here and you need to do for me versus true empowerment and engagement where, yes, I pay money here and I'm part of this community and we are all in this together and we want to make this a better place for everyone. So I think it's really powerful. There's a quote on here. Um, Chuck Durrett is the architect that uh, brought the concept of co-housing to the U.S. And I love this quote from him that 20 st seniors stranded on a desert island would be better at taking care of their most basic needs than the same 20 left isolated or in an institution. And what he's talking about is just really how we disable people with, with our institutional structures. All right. All right. Josh, I don't know if you want to 
ask a question here. I do have one. Uh, do you want to jump in there? Jump in there. Yeah, you know, Joe, like you mentioned to me, like, um, uh, you know, coming to my office, but you also shared the story of, I think, I think it was the owner of a dog that kept on barking, and you had to call in that resident. And when the, the, uh, when the resident walks into your, your office, you know, he, he shares this comment about, oh, I feel like I'm called into the principal's office, right? This yeah. must have been an amazing moment for you, like in terms of, aha, you know, I'm taking away his agency here, right? Yeah, yeah. So that story was uh, residents were complaining about the, uh, their neighbor's dog barking. And yeah, right. when the when the resident, the owner of the dog came in and said that to me, I feel like I'm being called into the principal's office. And here I am, a 40-something-year-old person who, for some reason, was given the opportunity to run the community. And he's twice my age. And I thought, well, this is really messed up. This is really messed up that, that I hold the power here. And it made me realize that... Um, that I, we needed to do things differently. And so I talk in the book about how um, a resident uh, group was formed and they, from that, that point forward, um, uh, handled everything, policies and everything to do with pets. Um, so that's just an example really of, of that. Um, and sometimes you have to go through those painful awakenings in order to move forward. And that was one of those for me. And how you decided to really empower your community to, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I just had a question because um, I, I'm curious, uh, you know, obviously we're talking a lot about like, I guess the, what I would classify as the kind of the culture, the programmatic kind of the, the way you think about the community, how it, it seems like in our industry, we kind of set ourselves up for failure by our outward messaging um, particularly on this slide, I think about the consumer and how we're real, like our marketing and our sales approach is really driven towards that customer versus citizen model. Mm -hmm. Is there been um, a, a dramatic culture change you all have had to make that kind of goes against what their traditional marketing messaging is for uh, what your communities are and the experience that residents should expect? Um yeah, so I can speak to and at Christian Living Communities, we're working on how do we now how do we expand our organization's grown a lot. So how do we expand this culture throughout the whole organization? But you know, at at um at Claremont Park, you know, when people would come and tour and when we would talk to people in a different way, the other thing that we did that again, it's when people leave the community, they should be forever changed is we would say to them, hey, you know, when you go to another uh, continuing care retirement community, you might not see the nursing home. Um, and we're going to go to the nursing home. And here's why. We, uh, we believe very strongly in honoring and valuing people, no matter what their abilities. And here's what, and so the, it was that conversation. Um, it was, um, how, who do you want to become? What's your next growth uh, opportunity? What do you want to bring to the community? And I'll tell you, we filled up, we had new life plan apartment homes and, and they were 99% occupied in 12 months, way ahead of schedule with a wait list. And people want that. Not everybody, right? There are some people that are like, I don't, I do want to sit and put my feet up and never do anything again. And that's fine. There are plenty of places where people can go do that. 
Um, but what what our experience has been is is that is very appealing to people, and people want to be part of something. So yeah, you do you do have to change things in the way you talk about things. I love that. Yeah, yeah, which is how you get to build your communities, Joe. Right? Yep. Yeah. It's exciting. Do you want to share with us these uh, these thoughts that you had about how you actually start from the beginning and build your communities here? Yeah, and I talked a little bit about some of this, but I would I would yeah. encourage anybody who's out there um, with a formal leadership role is to really look at what is your role as a community builder because that's really what we should be. And a leader's role, uh, a community builder's role has has two responsibilities. Okay, it's like being the mayor of a town. One is to provide for infrastructure, which is all the systems and things that keep the community going. And the second is to build uh, build the social fabric and bring out the best in everyone. And that's a huge shift. And it's a little scary sometimes to, um, you know, grow other people and empower other people. But if we really want to start um, being communities, we have to start thinking more like community builders. Um, also, you could think of yourself as a social architect. Um, I would remind people that community is not perfect. And that was one of the things that it, there's there's a big um, difference between that and the hospitality model, right? The Disney model of come here and everything's perfect and pristine. We are not Disney. We are communities where real things happen. And when you have a bunch of people working together, there's going to be messy situations and you, you work through it and you figure it out. Um, and again, I think I already talked about, about those things um, here. Um, I wanted to, do I have a minute to share just a little story about purpose? Absolutely. Actually, this is a great segue to this. Yeah, go ahead. Please do. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I, I wanted to share, and in, in, I didn't get to write about this in the book because it happened after um, I wrote the book, but um, just how important it is for all of us to never stop growing and never stop being open to things that challenge the way we think about things. So I thought I really understood kind of what purpose meant. And I, when I was with the Eden Alternative, I went to um, Australia and I went to an Eden Alternative home there. Um, it's called Anamkara. And in in the building, the community that I was in was a memory support neighborhood, um, kind of in a household model, which you sometimes see here in the U.S. Um, And and so all the people living there are living with dementia. And I go into the the household and I was talking to people and um, it had one of those open kitchens, which we see so often being built here. And so I said to the the team member, um, I said, Oh, do the residents help bake cookies sometimes? Um, you know, do you do that once a week or something? And, and she looked at me like I was crazy. And she said, the residents are part of every meal. I'm one person. If we didn't all work together to make breakfast, lunch, and dinner, no one would eat. And I was like, whoa, okay. So this is a whole different paradigm than, than I'm used to. And she went on and said, and... By the way, you know, Bob over here uses his power tools and goes and fixes things that that are broken around the community. This woman, you know, every day she's with a real life hot iron is ironing your clothes. Um, and And it really hit me that that is meaningful purpose of people working together to keep a household running versus what I used to think of, which is manufactured 
opportunities for a sense of purpose, right? Here's a bunch of towels. Can you fold them for me? And then when you turn around, I'm going to go mess them all up and bring them back to you. There are so many opportunities um, for the people that live in our communities to have real and meaningful purpose um, in in day-to-day life. Everything doesn't have to be a program. And I know we have regulations to deal with and things like that, but how can we do that? How can we support people in doing things that matter to them um, and so that they feel like they're a contributing part of, of the community, no matter what their challenge they're living with? So that was just a huge, oh my, for me. Yeah, Jill, um, obviously this idea of collaborating with the older adult is just kind of very much needed. You know, Dr. Adam Powers talks really well of, of that aspect. We have a lot of people asking about what is the name of this home in Australia that you visited? Where this oh, happened? it's called Anamkara, A-N-A-M-C-A-R-A, and it's part of Wesley okay. Mission. And Anamkara okay. is in Queensland, Australia. So, yeah, like you just said, obviously regulations is probably sometimes stopping us from all of our residents walking around with the power tools in our, you know, in our, in our corridors. But um, b- besides that, what's the biggest hurdle you see from these models being implemented? Um, I, I think it's our own barriers that we put up and all the things that we've been taught and, and really undoing that. And the other thing that I learned with my time at the Eden Alternative and in Driving Change myself is this, it, human beings want quick fixes right? Check the box. I did this. La, la, la. Now I'm done. This kind of work takes a lot of time. It's called adaptive work. And it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of mistakes. It takes a lot of people working together and changing the way we think about things and the way we behave. So um, I see a lot of organizations fail because they try to implement just one thing or they try to um, use it as a programmatic approach and it doesn't work. So I would suggest anybody out there, eat an alternative, Pioneer Network, get involved with those organizations if you want to drive change. Thanks so much, Jill. Just um, as we um, kind of approach the hour, and I just didn't see time flying by so quickly, um, guess we're having fun. Josh, do you have any uh, last minute question or thoughts for Jill? Well, I've, I've got a million uh, questions for Jill that I will have to connect with her after this. Um, but this has been such a fantastic uh, time, and I know all the all the listeners and those that are viewing are enjoying it. You know, I I love the idea of collaborating with el- elders on purpose, and one of the things that um, I've also noticed uh, through the years is as I've started collaborating, as I've started talking more and listening to to residents not that necessarily we want, we want to dwell on their past and talk about all that they used to do but i've i've really learned um and jill i'd love to know if if you've had a similar experience that um a lot of times you know as you're getting to know the residents they've lived a long time uh, longer than i have at this point and these experiences in their life, both good and bad sometimes, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's amazing the lessons, uh, and I'm similar. I, I learned a lot of my lessons through pain and traumatic times. And I've, I've been interested to see like uh, a couple of key staff members uh, through the years that have turned that what we might classify as a traumatic experience or or something that they viewed as a hardship or a tough low moment in their life, 
they use that to encourage others in the community that have been through that. And I saw that once with a a lady, uh, an elder that had lost a child and we knew that about her. And then one of our team members went through that experience and I saw the purpose ignite with that resident when we allowed them to share that information and that, that purpose be just brought out of her to nurture that younger team member. So I think sometimes even understanding these traumatic experiences and um, letting the residents know that that's part of life and you can use that for good, right? Absolutely. And, you know, when when I was with the Eden Alternative during the beginning of this pandemic and one of the communities we worked with um, talked about how the residents and that's and I want to be clear who we were does matter. Right. And those past experiences make us who we are. But the residents at the community um, were helping the team members um, deal with what was going on. And, you know, a resident saying, gosh, you know, I lived through this horrible time when we had one potato to feed my whole family. And somebody else saying, you know, I remember when all of this was happening with polio and it felt like the it it felt like society was crashing down around us, but it's going to be okay. I've lived through times like this. And that experience, it really helped calm the team members down and help them to feel okay. Because the younger people, we haven't been through anything like this before, but older people have, and they, we need them to help us through this. So that's a great point, Josh. Absolutely. Well, this has been so much fun, Charles. I'd like this hour has gone by so fast. Yes. Actually, last thing, in her book, Jill talks about it because she talks about where did the time go and the fact that building, the more we build experiences with our residents, the more we can, ex- I mean, not extend life, but actually have this broader feeling. So, you know, with that, it's been like this for myself as well. So Josh, thank you very much for joining us. Megan, thank you so much for helping us run these uh, fantastic webinars. And obviously, Jill, thank you so much for not only being with us today, preparing for this presentation, but I think that from me, Josh, and the rest of our team, and probably the whole audience, thank you for the work that you do, both in terms of leading change, but also the work that you and your team members do every single day in uh, showing up at work for the elders that you serve and providing them with opportunities to live with purpose. Thank you so much. Uh, for everyone, as you probably realize, conversation has been one of the biggest words today, so feel free to continue the discussion both with Josh and Jill. Their contacts are up. And with us at Activity Strong, as you probably realize, we've been very busy with upcoming programs. So I just want to briefly, as we're over time now, talk about a little bit about our next program, uh, a true leader and passionate person called uh, Kayfon Norman, the president of Britain Aging, is going to lead us through a session about purpose, actually, continue that discussion. We have two amazing executive edition uh, talking about leadership, uh, um, staff turnover on May 4th and June 1st. And I want to especially call your attention to a program that we just put out yesterday on May 18th. This is going to be led uh, by David Troxell, and he's an amazing speaker, author, leader in the field of dementia. And he's going to lead a panel discussion between Melissa Dillon, who's returning from Merrill Gardens, returning to our webinars, and also dine burn with Juniper communities. Last, but certainly not least, a reminder that we have our amazing uh, June 22nd 
virtual uh, summit, Activity Strong Summit, where we're going to have a, a full day with fantastic programs. You know, you have the speakers here on the, on the, the slide. I'm not going to list them. I can tell you that personally, the one thing that I feel this so strongly about is that a third of these sessions are either going to be with people living with uh, dementia, uh, with Karen Love, the Dementia Action Alliance, and uh, another program is going to be actually with residents of senior living communities. So a third of that specific program truly respects and values and puts forth uh, something that we really care about is nothing about us without us. Right? And that's important. And uh, I'd love to leave you with that final thought. Jill, thank you so much for being here with thank us today. You. Josh, nice seeing you again. Take care, everyone. Have a wonderful day and afternoon and week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Activity Strong Executive Edition series powered by Linked Senior. Find more resources and webinar information at btgvoice.com.